So today, we're going to talk about waiting. That was intentional. And you guys did exactly what normal humans do. So pat yourself on the back, say, I am a normal human being. Boy, it, it's really tough to wait, isn't it? I mean, whether you're waiting for an answer to a test, whether you're waiting for a phone call, whether you're waiting in line, it, it's just one of the hardest things in life is to just, is Jason going to preach? <laughs> and that's a normal human thing. And today, this is more of a, as my friend Rick would say, this is more of a homily, more than a preaching sermon. Because we're going to focus on just the simplest nugget. But I want to talk about waiting at this time of Advent, where we're in the middle season of waiting. Waiting for Jesus to come. Waiting for, sometimes we just feel like, Lord, actually, you know, I love my life, but if you come, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> You're ready to just, just take us. We wait a lot for many things. And I was just looking up reading, and studies showed, do you know how long in your life, in an average life of like, you know, 70 to 80 years, how, how much of that will you spend waiting? Three years of your life is spent waiting in line on a phone in some capacity, according to consistent research. Three years. No wonder why iPhone Kindles are popular, because while you're waiting, at least I could read a book. <laughs> but we spend a lot of time waiting. And if we wait three years of our time waiting, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, is that the best way to use my time and life? But there's something worse than waiting. And I just put it out there. You know what's worse than waiting? Waiting for something that never will happen. I think that's worse than waiting. When I was in kindergarten, I took ESL class um, because, you know, I was just entering school, but my, my English was still just, I just got, came here from Korea, and my ESL teacher took me out of the classroom to give me private lessons. So we went to the library, and then she said, today I'm going to show you the cafeteria, and we'll learn words about school. So we walked around school, and she was teaching me the words, and it was great. I felt special. And I thought she said, go back to the library, and I'll meet you there. So I went back to the library. That was around 10 o'clock. I was there until 1 o'clock, <laughs> literally. Because I was just sitting there as like a good little obedient boy. Well, that's my last order, so I'll stay here. Teachers came in to the like, oh, what a cute boy. Oh, that's that's, that's uh, Jason. That's Jason. Oh, he's just sitting there. An hour later, they're thinking, what's he doing here? <laughs> I misunderstood. I was supposed to go back to my classroom. I was waiting for something that would never come. So there is something worse than waiting. But waiting is bad. So I was ex just, just kind of analyzing, you know, researching. Why do we hate to wait? Did you Ask yourself that right now. Why do you hate to wait? What bugs you the most about waiting? Tell somebody next to you. Just think about it. And just tell, and you can tell somebody next to you. Talk. What bothers you? Tell somebody what bothers you the most about waiting. Ready? Go. So hold that thought as you, as you guys share with each other. 
And I was analyzing, there's, I just, my own weird summary, there's three weight components to weighting. One, th three questions. One question is, what is making you wait, right? That's one question you, you ask when you're waiting. So some people line up. I went to uh, Irvine Spectrum to meet up with a pastor friend, and I saw a line of people in sleeping bags, and I said, what are they doing here? And they were reading these books, and they were dressed up as Dracula, and, and they were waiting for the, the Twilight movie opening. <laughs> they were there for a night to get in line to watch a movie. It's crazy. And then Apple people who love phones, they wait in line to get the next iPhone two nights, three nights in the rain. So some people ask the question, what is making you wait? And for some of us, it's a product. It's a reunion. Some of us, it, it may be just a, a job or some opportunity or a sporting event. So that's the first thing we ask, right? What is making me wait in this line? And what is the end product? Second thing is, when you're waiting in line for a movie or a ticket or a ride at Six Flags, the second question you ask yourself is, how are you waiting? Meaning, doesn't it bug you when you are in the checkout and you have like a grocery and some, some guy comes and says, I only got one little thing. Oh, come on in. Then he gets in and he goes, come on in. And then his wife brings in a whole cart of groceries, and you're like, yo, that's messed up. And that actually happens. You know? They do that in TV shows, too. So how are you waiting? Are you, are you cutting? Are you complaining? Are you getting angry at people around you? There's a, there's a method to the waiting, isn't there? Are you, are you short and snippy? Are you, are you just angry at everybody? Are you impatient? Or you just look at the clock and see the second hand going, tick, tick, <laughs> right? There's a method. The second question of waiting is, how do we wait? And lastly, I think this is a third question of waiting, and just in my own weird thinking. What is your hope in the wait? What is, what is it that's going to refresh and release all this anxiety? Is it that coffee you've been waiting in line for 10 minutes at Starbucks? Is it that gadget? Is it the ride? After two hours, we got to ride the new Batman ride. Yay! They do that, right? And what is the hope that you rest your suffering on? Um, you know, uh, this past week, I went to Dallas for a denominational thing. And um, my hope was to get home after three days. And I was getting homesick already. I'm a baby, yeah, and I love my family and wife, so I want to get home. So we get on the plane, and it's all good. And uh, we're getting in line, and, and six of us were left. We're going into the aisles. And then the carry-on space was all filled. So we kept going back and back and back and back and back. And the steward says, I'm so sorry. You have to go back out of the plane with our, with our carry-on. We need to check all of that into the baggage. So your hope was to just sit down, buckle up, knock out, and, or just read a book. And then when that hope gets shifted, you get really upset, don't you? And finally, eventually, of course, I'm here. The, the plane, you know, baggage thing worked out. So the hope was fulfilled. But what if it didn't? What if they said, I'm so sorry, Jason. This flight's canceled. <laughs> you got to wait next week. <laughs> and uh, if that happened, then, then you know, it would have been interesting drama. So, 
So, so this, this idea of waiting is really fascinating. So I, I looked it up, and there was a great article from New York Times. And the article was talking about, why do we hate to wait? You guys want to know? It's pretty fascinating. Why waiting in line is torture. And it was kind of analyzing three things. One is, we hate to wait because we fear an unpredictable outcome. Can you imagine waiting two hours and they say, <coughs> oh, sorry, the iPhones are sold out. Oh, sorry, the ride is closed. Oh, gosh, you got three kids crying. But I want to ride. And you're like, dude, you just messed my li life up, man. <laughs> you know, unpredictable outcome. You, you're, what if the store closes by the time your turn comes, right? We hate to wait because you're waiting in line for DMV and maybe they're going to say, you're supposed to bring that piece of paper. Sorry, end of the line. Come back tomorrow. Right? We hate to wait because we have this fear of may, what's the unpredictable nature. So he was also saying this. This was the crux of it. Fascinating. Unoccupied time. When you're waiting, doing nothing, does something to you psychologically. When we do nothing in line, it exaggerates the time that we've been waiting by 36%. So in other words, you've been waiting only five minutes, but if you've been sitting there, standing there doing nothing, it feels literally like eight to nine minutes. Does, is that true? Right? So they did some research, and there was an airport in Houston, and they, they got so many complaints about picking up baggage. People were not getting their bags in time. So what they did in an experiment on was, uh, we'll make the, we'll hire more people to get the bags out. It worked, but the complaints stayed the same. Because people got out to the plane, they were still waiting for the barrier carousel, and it was still waiting. So what they did was this. Let's experiment. Let's put the baggage carousel all the way to the other side of the airport and have the people walk six times the distance. At least they're walking, right? Complaints went down to zero. So what they found out was it's not just waiting or not waiting. It's that in the time of waiting, being occupied with something relieves that anxiety. Isn't that fascinating? So right now, when I was standing, sitting there, you guys were getting nervous and anxious because you're thinking, somebody do something. Should we tell the pastor? And this unoccupied time makes you, in 30 seconds, create anxiety. But I think there's one more thing. And this is what the article said. The third frustration is sometimes we literally feel like you are wasting your life away. It is this awareness that my life is limited, and I know that, and you're making me realize at this moment when I'm doing nothing how limited and short my life is, and I don't want to be wasting it waiting for you or this product or doing nothing. So this is how he writes it. The dominant cost of waiting is an emotional one, Stress, boredom, that nagging sensation that one's life is slipping away. Let me read that part again. Did you hear that? That nagging sensation that one's life is slipping away. The last thing we want to do with our dwindling leisure time is squander it in stasis. I wonder if there's something deeper theologically and profoundly in all of us in this issue of waiting. I think it's that. What if my life is this much, because everybody has this much, and my life, I don't want to spend and waste any of it on waiting on nothing. And I think waiting in line makes us, reveals that to us. 
So we're in the season of Advent, which is waiting. How are we waiting? Is it a predictable wait? Is Jesus really going to come? Can I bank my hope in Jesus? And here's the thing what scripture tells us, and this is what we read in Titus. The only answer that satisfies those three, those three questions is purely found in Jesus. Let me read Titus again, since it's short. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What is making us wait? He answers that. There appeared to all of us the grace of God. Salvation has appeared to all men. His name is Jesus. What is making us wait? 2,000 years ago, God entered into human history as a baby, transformed existence, and gave us a salvation. And this salvation came in the form of a baby who died and rose again. And he says something to us. Not only did I bless you and I saved you and I'm going to join with you, but guess what? I am coming back. What are we waiting for? It's a predictable promise that Jesus Christ said he is coming back. He's making us wait, saying, while I'm waiting before I come back, I want you to prepare the world to know my good news. This great news that as Jessica taught wonderfully, it's not the naughty or nice list, but it's the naughty list. And yet God still reaches down to say, I love you. I want you. I'm giving my son for you. Let the world know that. That's what's causing us to wait. You see, if you're like me and I'm a more simplistic thinker, I wish if heaven is the ultimate place where we're supposed to belong and that is God's aim for us, I wish I, we could just die and go to heaven right now. Everybody, right? Why does God make us wait in this world? Because God is a loving God who mysteriously uses us to bring other people to him. He doesn't force and bend our will against our own. But he says, proclaim the good news. The kingdom has come. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The waiting period is that we have work to do, and God is saying, I want to use you to be a blessing to others. So that's good news, because the second question that we covered is, how are we waiting? We don't have to wait. Jesus answers this, because we don't have to just sit, wait in front of a mountain and say, Jesus is coming back. There's a 19th century, there was another pastor who brought thousands of people, and he said, Jesus is coming, 1863 or something like that. People met on top of the mountain. Some other people went to the cemetery to be with their loved ones. Because if Jesus is coming, everyone's going to rise. They want to be right there. Grandpa, we're going to heaven. Did it happen? No. You know, we don't just wait in front of the clouds and say, well, Jesus is coming, so let me do nothing and, and just, hey, give me milk and water, but I'll stay right here. See, Jesus doesn't give us that kind of waiting either. Titus tells us this. Since God came, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live 
How? Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There is a way that God says, if while you're waiting for me, I got, a, I got news for you. Live in a way that's separate from this world. Live in a way that sets you apart. And then the best question you should ask is, that's hard. How do I do that? And Titus answers it. If you skip down, verse 14, how do we do this? Through Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself of people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Did you hear that? What Jesus is saying, the good news of Jesus Christ is this. Get your act straight. That's not the message. Are you guys living godly lives? Pastor walking down house to house, checking the Herschelman's family. Godly life? All right, they're cool. All right, Anne Hampton? All right, is everyone living godly life? No, that's not the point. The point is live godly life, but how? Through the work that Jesus Christ does in your life and my life when we came to believe. It is saying, Jesus, help me to become more like you. You're the one that's changing, purifying, and making me different. You see, it's not a call to be more religious. It's a call to become more relational with Jesus Christ. Amen? Huge difference. He wants us to walk with him and, and dwell with him and speak with him, know him, cry for him, yell at him, study his word. And in that way, our waiting becomes upright, godly, because he transforms us. And lastly, what is the hope that we're waiting for? America, we had uh, something that never happened to us in our history this past year. What was America's credit rating? You guys know about this? We had triple A credit rating. That means you give America money, you can bank on that puppy. You'll get that back and then some. And then you know what happened for the first time in our country? It got downgraded. That's, as a finance guy, that, I, I took that personally. I was like, so hurt. I was like, man, this is our country. You're saying we're not perfect and able to pay back. Nope. We're not. We got downgraded. We're good. We're still better than most. It's not bad, but we're not perfect. And I was thinking, if you're going to ever say, give me, give money and lend to somebody who you know 100% will give back, it would have been America. It still could be. But now, this past year, that we had the little blip. So I was thinking, who can you rely on? <laughs> you know, we wait, hoping for the final fruition. And what if it doesn't get fulfilled? What is the hope that we're banking on? And this is what God tells us. Paul writes, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest thing you could bank your life on it's a fact that Paul is saying to us that God's word is promising us triple A to the infinite power rating. The blessed hope is coming. God, who is Jesus Christ, is coming. And he keeps all of his promises. By the way, just as a side, Jesus fulfilled over 500 prophecies in the Old Testament. One man. The chance of that happening is literally 10 times worse than the Powerball. You can't do that. And Jesus is, God is saying through his word, the hope that we have is the fact that Jesus is coming. 
and God's promise is certain. That is why we call it the blessed hope. Are you suffering? Are you waiting? Well, take heart in Jesus Christ. God's word is telling us. Not only do we have a reason for the waiting, not only do we have a method for the waiting, but we have a hope in the waiting that only one person could give, and it is God through the glorious work of Jesus Christ. This is Advent. And the reason why we go into the season is this. Are you prepared for his coming? Am I prepared? Are we really preparing our families? Are we praying for our communities? Are we preparing this community and this church to do the work so that when Jesus comes, we can say, Lord, we've been expecting you. The blessed hope. Cancer, AIDS, death, sickness, disease. All these things are gone, Lord. The blessed hope is coming to take us away. And Titus is telling us this is Advent. Let me just end with this. There was a man who prepared Jesus for his first coming. His name was John the Baptist. And I love his heart. You know what it takes? If you're a pastor like John the Baptist, he was a leader, and he had all these followings, and they, they were saying, there's a guy named Jesus baptizing more people than you. What do people in our world say? They'll say on the outside, oh, praise be to God. But we'll say, hey, man, what about our church? <laughs> but this is what John the Baptist said in response to Jesus, who is the Savior. John 3, 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, by the way. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears a bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. What is he saying? There is nothing that gives John greater joy than to hear the voice of Jesus Christ coming, doing his thing, and leading people towards himself. And I said, that is the prayer of the church. There is nothing that gives you, I promise you, all your joys, all your pleasures, all the desires of your heart cannot match the joy that we face when our Lord Jesus comes and takes you and me and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come unto me. That is the promise the Bible is saying. That is where the greatest joy lies. And we can't even describe it in words because there's no description for it. And this is why we have Advent. We say, come Lord, come. Change my heart. Help us change the world. We wait for you expectantly. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, We just really skimmed the surface, God. Uh, the depth of this reality that you came and you're also coming. Sometimes it just doesn't click well in our everyday hustle bustle life of waking up, paying the bills, feeding the cat, and getting dressed. And, and yet, Lord, at this time we ask that by your spirit you would make it so real in us. That you're not a God who just gave us this eloquent words in a holy book, but you are God who keeps his promises. And that while we are in the stage of waiting, not only do we understand the purpose for the wait in Christ, but we also have a 
method and reason of how we could wait through the transforming work that you do in our hearts. And that is what we give ourselves to this morning. So that one day we could have the hope fulfilled in the waiting that when you and us are united again, that we indeed have true joy because we hear the voice of the bridegroom who died for us that we could have life, who gave his time for us that we could have infinite time. I feel led, just, I just want to spend this time in personal prayer and ask all of you to just take a moment before we take communion and just say, God, here I am. I've been waiting. Make it real. Help me to wait on you, Jesus. And as you do that, I want to invite you, if some of you need prayer, just stand up where you are. Just eyes closed and heads bowed, and we just want to pray for you. Just say, Lord, in this time where I can't wait any longer, I surrender my life and time, and I say, Lord, I will wait on you. And if you just need that prayer, we just ask that you would stand up and we'll close this portion. Lord God, look upon the people, your, your people, your creation. And where there's a lot of anxiety and angst, help us to look upon Jesus, who knows the depth of angst that we are going through, who can truly say to us, I know what you feel. So God, as you look upon these men and women, Grant them your deep, profound peace. Grant them your joy. Grant them a retuning of their life and, and just receiving with glad open arms the pouring of your Holy Spirit in their families, in their situations, in their lives. And God, would you take their response with gladness and increase their faith and hope in you. And we pray all these things in your son's name.